Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Hi, and welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Janus. It's been a little while since the last episode, but the podcast is back and I'm happy to announce that we are starting a new series called Tea Wayfaring. The energy of tea fuels some great work in this world and I'm excited to sit down and talk to some of the members of the global tea community about the work that they do and how it all connects to tea. The conversations in this ongoing series will be more casual and less focused on a particular topic, but rather about the people themselves and their practice. In this first episode, I had the honor and pleasure to sit down for a chat with a very interesting young Australian by the name of Kate McConnell to talk about his quite unique process of cooking and serving healthy food to people and how his tea practice is connected to it. This is the first episode we recorded with the help of a conferencing app and the audio quality isn't as high as some of our previous episodes, but I hope you enjoy it nevertheless. Also, be sure to stick around until the end of the episode for some fun bonus questions and recommendations from Kate. I hope you have some nice tea in your bowl and a kettle on the boil as you listen. Here's my conversation with Kate. Uh, welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, Cade. Janus. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. This is the first time we meet. Um, I've been following your journey on Instagram and um, it's been lovely to uh, meet you through the interwebs, but this is the first time we meet face to face. And um, you're in Australia, I'm here in um, Taiwan. So uh, let's maybe start with a little bit of context. Um, I guess first tell us uh, where are you coming in from? Mm. I am in Byron Bay in New South Wales, so on the east coast of Australia. Um, it's a balmy Sunday evening here. You can maybe hear the kookaburras in the background. Yeah, just a little bit. The evening into dark. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's where I am. Uh-huh. So you're on the southern hemisphere, and this is January that we're recording this podcast. So... You are in the height of summer and we're we're in the dead of winter here. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's it's been pretty hot. <laughs> okay, so instead of uh, me introducing you, um, I thought for this new series, uh, why don't you um, introduce yourself and um, perhaps mm-hmm. just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what you do for a living, for example, or, or mm-hmm. what do you do out in the world? 
Um, I always struggle with this, with this question. <laughs> well, I make a living through cooking and um, I've written a poetry book and um, it kind of, I guess it all, all ties in. I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a plant-based chef and I run a, a catering business here in Byron Bay um, and I cook on more in, in the health retreat, spiritual retreat realm. Um, so a lot of kind of yoga and meditation retreats. And I run cooking workshops um, along the east coast of, of Australia where, yeah, we kind of learn to, I teach people to cook whole foods and, and make food from scratch. Um, we cook everything in clay pots. Um, yeah, I love tea and I love nature and I love the ocean and um, I'm a surfer and um, yeah, I love working with wood. I, <laughs> yeah, um, I love writing. Um, it, it's tricky, yeah. In this moment, I feel like a deep expression of, of my connection to earth and nature is comes through food. Um, and that, that I find it changes. Um, so sometimes it's nice to have a break. I've had a bit of a break from serving others just due to, to COVID. And um, that's allowed me to kind of just live that more, I guess, home style way of life, you know, fermenting things at home and culturing foods and getting in the garden. And um, that's been really nice. It's been a nice work kind of life balance for me as of late. Yeah. Nice. So cooking and tea of course is uh what i'm mainly interested in and why i wanted to sit down with you and have this uh chat but before mm. we get to that um let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh, also where you're from are you from byron bay is that where you grew up and mm, no i've been here for eight years uh -huh. um, but i grew up six hours south in a small coastal town uh, called tonkari foster tonkari kind of by the coast, which was a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. Um, and I moved to Byron when I was 18, turning 19. And it's felt like home since then. <laughs> and yeah, I do. I, I love it here. I love it here. And I also find it refreshing to leave and come back. Um, yeah it, it really supports my lifestyle and i've learned so much here i've felt it's been a real real healing place for me actually yeah mm. Byron's a pretty special place uh i've had the pleasure to visit but only just for a day so i didn't really like get into the culture there but i i know and have heard and also felt a little bit that it's it is a special place how would you describe the the vibe or the scene there to someone who's, who's never been to Byron? Mm. I think um, there's so many layers, layers to the area. So depending if you're living here or you're visiting, you might have a different experience. Um, I, I love just like the, the openness and diversity and also just kind of a, a, a laid back approach to, 
to life and a kind of wholesome approach. Um, you know, we have four farmers markets a week within 20 minutes driving and um, each little town, you know, we've got the beautiful beaches and there's these little hinterland towns that all have a different personality and a different charm. And, um, you know, the land feels very, very alive here. And I think, I think people feel that. Yeah. How is it different to where you're from? It's, it's very different geographically. They're both very beautiful, but, um, I think where I'm from is quite, uh, I don't know the word, not outdated, but it's, it's where a lot of people came to retire, you know, being by the beach and there's what I feel somewhat like a stagnancy or, um, you know, that retirement feeling of just like coming here and settling where there is a lot of movement in Byron Bay and it's a very transient place. And I believe for the indigenous people here, it was actually a meeting place where they would come and they wouldn't, they wouldn't stay. They would come and go. Um, and you can feel that at times. Sometimes it feels unsettling. You know, there's a lot of creative people here and a lot of international travelers, a lot of uh, local travelers. So lots of people coming and going, but yeah, it does feel steady having a, a beautiful community here that's kind of tight-knit and um yeah that feels quite grounding mm. Mm. nice um so in the january 2022 issue you um wrote an article and um you wrote a little bit about how you got started with cooking but i'd like to um expand a little bit and and know a little more how you um got into cooking and uh mm. and why why vegetarian cooking mm. yeah reflecting back actually when i was really young maybe i don't know three or four we had this cubby house this wooden cubby house in the backyard and i actually remember my mum would buy me these soup vegetable packets from the <laughs> the supermarket which had carrots and celery and turnips and I remember I would cut them up and I loved acting like I was a chef and then many years on um it I felt like it really began moving up to Byron around 1819 and um I somewhat became independent and I would cook every basically every night um and I felt like I, I got some form of culturing coming up here, um, but it wasn't really until I, I went to Sri Lanka at the end of 2014 and um, was just amazed by the food, you know, this array of the vegetarian food. And I, I did this workshop there, this cooking workshop with this local family, the Amara Singh family in Marissa. And I was exposed to just like whole food cooking in its purity. And we made maybe five or six different curries and all the ingredients were lined out on the table. You, I knew everything and saw everything that was going in the food, you know, we're making our own coconut milk and this family made their own coconut oil. They grew a lot of their own spices and produce. And it, it, it's like it ignited this 
knowing in me that I want to cook like that. I want to live like that. I want to live that close to the earth and that connected to nature. And, you know, where our meals aren't something we rush, you know, like it's the sacred process, the food preparation, growing food. Um, and to really like honor that in my days. Um, and I took that home. I got a lot of inspiration from, from that class. I actually met an amazing yoga teacher, an older man, Lyndon, who was in his sixties at the same time. And it kind of like sent my life on a different path. It felt like a, a more aligned path actually. And I had this beautiful yoga practice that was gifted to me and you know, along with that was like vegetarian cooking and, and this act of nourishment through, through food. So it's like cooking became a practice then and a creative outlet and, um, and a way of service, serving others. So I would, after that trip, I would practice, I practice that yoga asana, um, sequence every day and I would cook every day and I just fell in love with them both yeah so that's how it kind of began that was maybe six or seven years ago hmm. yeah what actually took you to uh Sri Lanka what was the impulse to go there mm, well I was living with my uncle up here and he'd been back in the 70s quite a few times and lived there for many months and I'd heard his stories and um, I know my dad had visited Sri Lanka and he'd, he'd passed away a few years before and there was this interest in going to the countries that, that he went to. Um, but I think also it being coastal and tropical and there was just, oh, it was in my field a lot. A lot of people were talking about Sri Lanka and um it was where I was meant to be in that time, for sure. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you had a very specific experience in uh, Sri Lanka. I'm sure that mm. if you take, you know, 50 random people around the world and, and buy them a ticket to Sri Lanka, everyone will have a different experience. So mm. I'm just, uh, yeah, like curious to um, how you had such a, such a cool experience um, and especially you know, reading your article about um, getting to also meet people who who cook. And um, there was a part in the article where you talk about uh, having a meal in uh, this old lady's house who um, mm. asked you uh, asked you in. Is that something that yeah. happens in Sri Lanka or, or were you just fortunate that that happened and, and you got to see the, the kitchens there? And mm. That little story was actually in India. Oh, I see. Uh, two years later, maybe in Jalsami. And I guess that just happens over there. You know, there's these little guest houses and they're family run. And, you know, the grandmother might be cooking and the granddaughter, you know, she might be running the business of the guest house. And so it was a bit of a mystery. You know, you saw the, the sign out the front that's vegetarian food. And, you know, I remember walking up the stairs and you're basically just walking into this this family home and then at the top of the of the house I think it was like 
two to three stories was this beautiful little grandmother sitting on the floor with all her spices everywhere and um oh it was so special and you know she'd cook for you and and she'd watch you eat and she couldn't speak English but there was translation through her granddaughter and it was just a very humbling experience you know especially coming from the west with all these formalities and food etiquettes and you know eating with your hands on the floor is something that was quite foreign that also felt really beautiful and and honest and right in that context hmm. yeah so all these little experiences uh shape the way you cook now i feel that yeah it's like a big part of my cooking is is cooking in clay and cooking in earthenware pots. And I feel like that was a real influence from Sri Lanka initially. Um, you know, you go and eat a meal there, you might order what they call a vegetable curry and it will actually be five or six different vegetable curries, um, you know, all served in clay pots and, and they've all been cooked in clay. And it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful sight and ancient, you know, um, so that was something across my travels. I would collect these pots and these vessels. And this is all before I started cooking for people. Um, and you know, I just had this accumulation of stuff and I thought, what, what's this for? <laughs> it isn't just for me. And, you know, then I would start having friends over for dinner and, and then it just naturally became uh, my business. And, and then I had all these beautiful vessels and ladles and spoons all from around the subcontinent and Sri Lanka and India and Nepal, which I could kind of offer to people and serve my food in and cook the food in. And it, I think that's the special thing of it just being an extension of my experience in life so far and that, that will just keep evolving and I'm constantly learning and you know, being a homestyle cook and having no formal training and there's like so much room for creativity and expansion and freedom somewhat to, yeah, to be out of the rigidity of the conditioning of doing things a certain way, um, which really suits me, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you... Yeah. Do you follow any like principles or, or guidelines like Ayurvedic um, traditional um, principles of any kind, or is it more like experimentation based? And would you describe your cooking more like a fusion, or or is it more mm. traditional? Mm. Um, I don't follow any principles at at the moment. I don't I don't cook with meat and I don't cook with eggs. I don't use dairy other than ghee um, and I've been making my own ghee it depends on the context to be honest um, there's some retreats that I cook on that would be Ayurvedic food would be requested you know I might not cook with onion and garlic and not use any of the nightshade family or so I feel like quite adaptive um, but like there's this core part of me that is very it feels very true to cook, you know, Sri Lankan South Indian food, which somewhat ties in with Ayurvedic cooking anyway. Um, but it, de it depends on what I'm influenced by in that moment. Um, sometimes I feel, you know, kind of a, 
an inspiration to cook more like homestyle Italian food and also like Japanese influenced food. And it depends what's in season. It depends what, you know, if I go out to a restaurant, sometimes that's really inspiring. Or if I go to a potluck dinner with some friends and someone cooks something, that's really inspiring. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's changing <laughs> and changes, yeah. Mm, yeah, cool. You mentioned that, uh, you know, what's in season. I'm also curious about like your process of how you, how you view the whole process of, of serving food because I see so many parallels and you, you touched on them in your article as well, but I see uh, so many parallels between serving tea and serving food. I mean, first of all, mm. both of them are, um, you know, signs of hospitality that go back, well, basically to the you know beginning of time, you could say, or at least mm. thousands of years, you know, um, to the beginning of human civilization. And um, I'm just uh, wondering how you, what is your process of um, serving food to people? Um, mm. from the very beginning, like choosing ingredients and then, mm. you know, also cooking and, and, and planning all the, all the meals. Mm. Yeah. So I'll just speak from like a, the context of say, if I was cooking on a retreat. Um, so I don't call up and make orders to people, um, produce supplies. Like I shop at the market and I shop at the local health food stores. So you know, the day before or that morning might be me driving around different places. You know, I might go to the markets and, and see what's there. And a big part of my business is is using organic produce and organic ingredients. And that's one other thing about living in the Byron Shire is that it, it allows me to run this business model, um, which is kind of like a, an expression of my lifestyle and an expression of the way I would cook and the way I would eat at home. Um, so, you know, running, going to the markets and interacting with the farmers and there's certain trees around, you know, like curry leaf tree, which I'll go and pick the leaves fresh and the kaffir lime tree and lemongrass tree from around the community where I know they kind of all are and accumulate all these things. Um, another big thing for me is like my spiritual practice, like meditation and yoga and tea ceremony you know like me dropping into stillness and me connecting to myself is is so important in in the act of service you know much like serving tea it's like i really feel like who i'm serving uh, are eating somewhat a part of me and my mindset um so it's important to give myself a lot of time and, and to it actually feels like the process of cooking, like the form of cooking, much like the form of tea ceremony, you know, really anchors me personally into presence. And so it's almost like the form of cooking helps me become present to serve people. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel that that is a big thing for me anyway, is just, is being calm and trusting myself. And, you know, there's always generally before every meal I cook, there's that little voice that 
of worry that might be like, oh, I hope there's enough food. I hope they like it. And every time you cook and you receive the feedback of how beautiful it was or like it's just that reminder and that that little voice it might always be there and it can always be there and it's welcomed. But that trusting that, you know, there's always almost something greater coming through you and that you're, it feels like I'm just showing up to what I'm meant to be doing what nature is calling me to do and um yeah and I trust that everything will be presented in the way it's meant to Hmm. it sounds Mm. like a very uh beautiful process and it's so unlike anything I've ever encountered because usually you know if we're talking about catering um then you know, there's either a set menu or at least like, you know, when you want to order catering to your event, um, you talk Mm. to the caterer and they make a menu um, for Mm. you or for for that event. Um, But it sounds like you um, don't have that. You uh, go and Mm. shop and kind of like find out what you can, uh, it's ingredients based, right? You, uh, um, if I'm understanding right, that you are Mm. shopping and seeing what's out there and then you're just like turning that into a beautiful feast you could say is that correct yeah yeah and i mean sometimes there is a structure and sometimes i will some clients might want to see a menu in advance but then there's room for lenience you know it's honest it's like you know there might not have been cucumbers at the markets or cucumber is a summer fruit so like in the winter we're not eating cucumbers there's just like certain things especially if you're you're serving organic food it's like it's only what's growing. It's only what's available. Otherwise it, it may have been in cold storage for months and months and months. So yeah, that's a beautiful thing too, is to be given the trust and also just like not be in that rigidity of, you know, having set menus where you, you have cauliflower or something like that for eight months of the year, but instead, you know, this cauliflower might be available for three months and then, after three months, we're not going to be using cauliflower. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's a bit uh, just like this intuitive thing of acceptance, actually, and and working with what what's on offer and having to adapt. And um, you know, even there's sometimes where I might write a menu and there's certain ingredients that I just can't get. So you know, you have to be adaptive. Yeah. Mm. It sounds a lot like um, preparing for a tea ceremony because, mm. you know, we also want to um, choose the the tea and the utensils and the brewing method and the chashi and everything um, based on occasion, right? Mm. So there's no, like, set formula. Like, you could you could follow some guidelines, but there's no, like, recipe of, like, if somebody... Mm, you know, like if an old friend comes and visits, um, it depends on the season. It depends on who that friend is, what the tea session mm. is going to be like. Is it going to be casual and you're going to be doing some chatting or or do you really want to like serve like some powerful old tea and just like uh, sit down and, um, you know, drop in and, and drink tea mm-hmm. in silence for, for a bit. So I see a lot of um, parallels actually with, with mm. tea. Is that um, actually, how did you um, even meaty mm. yeah so i was lucky enough to meet t here in byron bay um 
uh, maybe three years ago through Connor and Sam Gibb, who is a student of, of Wuda, and they were here offering a sit on donation. And I was invited by, by a friend. Um, and I'd heard about Global Tea Heart and it was just kind of on the radar. And um, yeah, I was just like, as most people are when they sit their first tea ceremony, you know, really, what was that? And it was such a beautiful, beautiful experience and so heart opening. And, um, actually, my fiance around the same time sat, she's American and she was in LA visiting her family and Wuda was over there and he had served her maybe within a few days. And, you know, we called each other up and we're like, you never guess what we did. She's like, I did this tea ceremony. I'm like, I did this tea ceremony. And that's been this beautiful kind of communion of, of sharing the practice together and, and meeting it at very similar times and having that within the relationship too. And also, there is a beautiful tea community in Byron that has been kind of expanding. And yeah, it's, it's really, really special. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So how is, uh, tell me a little bit about your tea practice or how is tea connected to both your, um, your cooking and also, mm. um, you mentioned that both you and your, your fiance drink tea. So how is, mm. is that a part of everyday life? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so normally I will meditate first thing in the morning when I wake up, perhaps I'll sit at home or I'll go to the beach and generally I come back and drink tea, um, in ceremony and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a part of daily life. Actually the last few months, Sam has been creating a tea space in the Byron area. So, um, it may jump between having tea at home or having tea there. And also sometimes I will, I will take tea to work. Actually, a dear friend of mine, Dan, um, we work together and often before we start cooking on the retreat, we might sit down and have three bowls together in silence and drop in before we actually start the cooking process. Mm. Um, and also I feel like, after cooking on a retreat, you know, that might be five or so days and you're kind of, you're serving others and serving this deep part of you three times a day, coming back to tea, like the morning after and just sinking into myself and, and, you know, that beautiful silence and space to reflect and really exhale after, after the big, big time cooking on retreat. It, it's such a beautiful thing and a practice that I really, cherish <laughs> and um oh it's such a gift in my life i'm really grateful for it yeah hmm. any uh specific insights or lessons um you want to share connected to tea we always say uh we like to say that uh tea lessons are life lessons you know anything mm. you uh learn in a in a tea space or serving tea to others or or to yourself is uh can be applied also in in life so i wonder mm. if you have any any specific um you know insights that you you maybe want to share with us mm. yeah 
definitely there's one that i i find really relates to tn food for me and how it it can be such a mirror you know of like if i'm sitting for tea ceremony on my own or i'm starting to prepare food it's like looking in the mirror of of how i'm actually feeling you know am i drinking the bowls fast am i am i present with the form am i rushing am i you know a bit mumbly or am i just like you know at ease and at peace and with tea it might take a few bowls to get to that that place and you know i really find that with with food of like where's where's my mind is it here with the process i'm doing now or is it thinking about eating the meal in advance um you know even that concept of spilling you know if you were to spill water from the teapot or from the kettle it's like if you were to cut yourself while you're preparing food it's because you're, for me anyway i'm i'm not present or i'm distracted or i'm thinking of something else or i'm my mind is at the next step instead of just being being with the process right there and then mm. yeah so that's a that's a, a big one that I, i'm presented with generally every time I sit and every time I go prepare food. Yes. Yes. Mm. Presence, presence is, uh, mm. and, uh, mindfulness is, a is a great lesson, um, to take away mm. from, from tea practice for sure. And I get reminded that also every, every day, even the little things like spilling a little bit of water when you, uh, didn't mean to, you know, and you're going for mm. practice or, maybe just pouring tea and, and missing the bowl just a little bit, you know, and, and you're reminded like that to check in with you and, um, and see where your mind is at. Is it in the moment or are you already thinking about the tasks of the day? Are you leaping ahead mm. or, or playing out some scenario in your head? Um, mm. yeah. Yeah. And that like the beautiful, aspect of humanness that's in that you know <laughs> yes yeah um in your article you also mentioned you talked a little bit about uh differences between a restaurant meal and mm. uh, the way you feel after or the way you mm -hmm. you might feel after a restaurant meal and and a home-cooked meal by a loved one um, mm. can you talk can you talk a little bit about that like what would you say are the main differences um between the two mm. yeah from my own experience i often feel you know to go to a restaurant it's generally quite busy and i know that the chefs are cooking under very stressful environment um cooking in a very stressful environment and you know the kitchen's loud the exhaust fans going, there's a lot happening. It's quite a chaotic environment. Um, and generally, you know, the, the food may be cooked in a rush. They may not be using the best ingredients. I know, you know, that a lot of restaurants are going to use, kind of, it's a business, yeah. They're going to use the cheaper ingredients where possible. And that might mean, you know, refined oils, which you wouldn't use in the home kitchen, especially if they're deep frying in these you know, vegetable oils and cottonseed oils and, you know, if they're using MSG or refined sugars or all these things that, you know, 
may not be in the home kitchen and also just that contrast in the intention behind home cooking you know the intention of cooking in your home whether it's your mom or your grandmother or any family member it's like the intention is to, to nourish the family and you really feel that you know that that slow cooking there's presence involved it takes time it's it's being cooked in the heart of the home it's being cooked in your family home um and that feels really nourishing you know there's there's a lot of love and intention put into that food and it it's a different feeling you know when you eat home style food and you eat restaurant food and i know my body you know it doesn't like eating restaurant food it might once a week might be enough but there's there's such a difference and having been behind the scenes in restaurants like I don't approve of a lot of the ingredients that are being used and I wouldn't use them myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, that's a big one, you know, and especially in this day and age where we're, we're, we're busy and, you know, sometimes takeaway food or going to a restaurant is convenient, especially if we've been working hard all day and it's so nice to just receive and be fed from other people, especially if we're, we're single or we're in a relationship where both people are working that may not be on offer. Um, mm. But I feel like there's, there's places popping up that have these ethics and morals of somewhat going back to the roots and going back to a more slower pace of cooking or more home style food, which, you know, you could seek out if, if that's possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned before that you, just like with tea, the other person receives a, a little piece of you, basically. So it is about mm. how you as a cook relate to the food that you're preparing, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel that's that's felt, you know, mm. and it's received. And it's a, yeah, it's an offering to serve to someone or to serve food to someone is an offering. And mm. within that offering is a, as much as we don't want ourselves to be in there, it, it somewhat is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself uh, not in the right mindset of cooking? And, and if you do, then what happens then? What do you, what do you do to get into the right mindset? <laughs> yeah. It's funny at, at work, like if I'm cooking on a retreat or I'm running a workshop, it's, it's so interesting where it's, I might not be in the mindset before, but when I come to the form, when I come to, okay, it's time to cook. When I pick up the knife and I, it's like, it's this, like I'm jolted into the acceptance. And because cooking for me, it's such a, a way of also to practice and a way of coming back to myself that it's almost like harmonizing for me. Um, but, but, you know, at home I might, be cooking for my partner and you know I might have been cooking all week or whatever and then some resentment builds and you know I'm internally thinking I wish she was cooking for me blah blah blah, blah. um and I think that is just the dance of it too of like also honoring when resentment is brewing in your act of service that that means maybe you need to take a break <laughs> and just acknowledge that you know I don't 
that's really against of what I'm speaking for is to be serving up resentment and anger in the food or frustration. Mm -hmm. But again, that is, it's a very human thing to do. And uh, yeah, it might just be communicating that. Um, yeah, and learning too, just like not to overwork myself. That is something I've learned in the past, you know, when I first started the business was like saying yes to everything. And also that can actually be a disservice to, to the people. And, you know, if I just come from one retreat and then I've said yes to another one and I might not have a break in between the people on the second retreat, they're not getting the me somewhat to my fullest or not getting the full expression of what I have to offer. And, you know, is that a disservice and is it a disservice to me? And is it a disservice to the others? Um, so just learning to what I'm capable of and what I need and just needing rest and, and a break in between, or if not really having those practices like tea ceremony or meditation or yoga, or just going and throwing myself in the ocean in between, um, can kind of just bring me back to myself and to make sure my cup is full before I'm offering anything to anyone else. Hmm. Mm. yeah so it's it's a balancing act like uh, like anything right mm, yeah for sure definitely you can't uh, offer anything that you don't have so uh, exactly mm. yeah i i love that it's uh, yeah there's there's so many parallels between serving food and tea that i can see and i feel the same way that you know overworking or over serving uh if, if you are serving tea um, mm -hmm. is also like one of the dangers, like you might be tempted to give too much of, of yourself and, and just mm -hmm. this process of, of learning to balance those things is, is interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, a lifelong dance, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> you uh, also mentioned, um, uh, cooking on charcoal um earlier and mm. um i'm also very curious about that because um you know i i tried to use as, as much as possible use charcoal heat for tea and uh mm. i i see how that affects um you know the the tea and uh, and mm. the whole process as well not just uh i'm not just talking about the flavors and the energy even but also like how it just slows everything down it's it's a process mm. uh it's a different process than just uh you know, turning on an electric stove, which I also mm -hmm. happily use um, an infrared burner, nothing against that. But mm -hmm. uh, it's just something like special and like so elemental in uh, mm. in heating your water on charcoal. And mm. I, I haven't really lately been cooking uh, with charcoal, but I really want to get into that again, because I, I remember as a young child, you know, I grew up in in Estonia, and and one of the things that we have a lot of in Estonia is uh, potato fields. So mm. my, my grandparents had a huge potato field, or at least for you know five year old, it's it's huge, it's massive. Mm. <laughs> so we grew our own like potatoes and cabbages and um, carrots and and beets and things like that. Mm. And of course, uh, when autumn came, every it was like all men on deck like everybody had to come and help with the harvest 
And mm. being a, a small child, of course, you don't want to. It's a little bit gloomy usually at that time, too. So you're kind of digging for potatoes and it's like a little chilly and maybe overcast mm. or even like a little. Well, we w- wouldn't um, actually uh, harvest with like heavy rain, but there might be like a little it might be misty and just like, you know, it chills mm. you to the bone. So what mm. I, I love to do was uh, just build fires um, next to the field. And, you know, it was mm. a controlled like a you know fire pit and, and my parents were keeping an eye on me, but they, they would let me do it. And so what we yeah. did is we cooked the potatoes in the ash. Uh, so wow. after, Beautiful. when you have the, the charcoal, you just push that aside and dig a little hole, uh, put a potato that you've just picked from the field, mm. uh, put that in the, <laughs> in the uh, little hole, and then you dump mm. a bunch of hot ash and, uh, and soil on it, and then you put the charcoal on top of it. And after about... Wow. I'd say probably like twenty minutes. You have the most delicious potato you've you've ever had. Wow! <laughs> so and, uh, and that's special. And Wuda keeps talking about these uh, awesome Malaysian curries that are cooked on mm. charcoal, and how that mm. um, has a special effect on like you know just um, the the spices coming together um mm. beautifully and and just uh there, there's something to it so i'm just curious about your experience with um with charcoal cooking on charcoal mm. and are you always cooking on charcoal or or just on on occasion mm. yeah i just i'm quite new to cooking with charcoal on charcoal sorry um generally i would cook with gas um with the clay pots but I guess it's an it's an ancient practice of cooking in clay on charcoal and it's been this beautiful process. Sometimes I'll just cook at home. Um, sometimes it will be for work, whether it's little private jobs. And like you said, the slowness of it and igniting the charcoal, it takes time, it takes presence, you know, fanning the charcoal and gathering sticks and twigs and um the smell there's this beautiful beautiful smell of burning charcoal and clay hot clay and um yeah it's a it's it's special as simple as simple and ancient as it is you know fire and water and earth and the air all the elements here just like combined um but yeah it really it's it's different it really affects the food and I guess the slowness, but also a lot of the clay pots that I cook in are porous so that the smoky flavor does kind of infiltrate through into the food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even grilling, you know, on the hibachi grills, grilling vegetables on, on charcoal, it's like, it brings out this sweetness that you didn't even know was there. It's something like, you know, broccoli you just rub it in a little bit of olive oil and salt and pepper and put it on the hibachi grill and you know within a minute or two it's like the, the most amazing <laughs> broccoli you've ever eaten um and you know that you really sit around it becomes like a centerpiece it's like sitting around fire you know some afternoons i might just light up the charcoal and i'll be cooking curry on there and it's a way of just like, yeah, sitting around a fire and sitting in the, the quiet and um, 
it's somewhat like in Australia, we have this term of the fire being called the bush TV, bush television. And <laughs> I love you know, there's these da- dancing flames and, and everyone's watching a different channel, depending on what's going on in their thoughts and their mind. It's like another aspect of that is just, you know, you're sitting watching this, this, this charcoal glow and this pot cook this beautiful meal, but you're also a part of the, the form and you're manipulating it and um yeah it, it's it's really beautiful mm. yeah it's something mm. really meditative about sitting around fire or charcoal and just like watching <laughs> watching the flames um mm. yeah i i love Definitely. that and, and and miss it and every time i have a chance to um uh, i feel kind of like refreshed almost as if like mm. some part of me got like recharged again yeah for sure definitely Mm. and even i love the way you know it's like putting a kettle on charcoal or you put a clay pot on charcoal and it's it's changing you know its appearance like the pot will blacken and and the patina will change and it's like that too is beautiful with every meal you know the pot is aging and um i I love that (laughs) it's it's just like yeah part of the beauty of it hmm. yeah yeah all right all of this talk about um grilling vegetables on charcoal has made me very hungry <laughs> but uh before we uh, wrap up um i thought i'd uh, ask a few like uh, bonus questions just like um, mm-hmm. short little uh, snippets that don't need to be um like in-depth answers but um mm-hmm. um yeah, just a, a few few quick questions. Um, do you have a, a favorite tea, or or mm. perhaps a category of tea that um, at the moment you you like drinking? Yeah, I'm such a sucker for Shaopur. <laughs> um, I pretty much drink that every day. Wow, in the summer heat, uh, even even in the summer heat, just drink it in the morning. And I've actually been, I had a cup just before we jumped on the call. Uh-huh. Um, I do. I love the Samadhi on, on Global Tea Heart, the, the show from the 90s. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah. a great tea. Mm. Any favorite albums for tea? Um, do, you, do you even listen to music um, uh, with tea? I normally do. Um, I listen through Spotify. Sometimes I might have playlists or I might be recommended music by friends. But at the moment, I've been listening to a few Japanese composers. Um, I actually can't remember their names, to be honest, sadly. <laughs> but it's beautiful, beautiful ambient music. And yeah, yeah, we quite, could, quite soft. I can perhaps put that in the comments of um, of this episode. So if you're interested, Perfect. check in the comments and we'll have a, a name for you. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Uh, would you say you mainly drink tea with music or or mainly in silence and sometimes with music? mainly with music if if i'm inside if i'm if i'm drinking tea you know out in nature then it will be in silence um but generally it's with music and maybe the last bowl i might i might turn the music off and drink in silence mm, beautiful yeah any uh books you're reading at the moment that you would um recommend yeah i'm um I'm actually reading a book, The Wild Edge of Sorrow by Francis Weller. 
um, I just got back from a vision quest a few weeks ago, mm. which was a beautiful experience. And um, this book feels like it's just come at the perfect time. And before that, I was reading Soulcraft by Bill Plotkin. It's a great book. Um, yes. And also a lot of kind of cookbooks. I, like, I kind of have a lot of books on the go. And depending what I'm feeling, like last night I picked up this amazing book, The Book of Miso, and I'll just read through that. Um, yeah, but this Wild Edge of Sorrow, it's a, it's a great book. It's, it's rituals of renewal and the sacred work of grief. So really kind of leaning into the more, I don't know, maybe the, the aspects of spirituality that I have neglected and being very associated with ascension and transcendence and this is kind of really working into the body and yeah maybe parts of of me that I have neglected so it's it's been great mm. yeah cool um any um favorite recent culinary discoveries dishes or ingredients or mm. Yes, actually one. I've been making a lot of, of miso soup. Just um, I have this big batch of homemade miso, which I was culturing for a year. And um, I was looking at this Zen Buddhist cooking book. And one of the principles is to use all the, every part of the vegetable. And he would put, if he was putting corn in the soup, he would put the corn cob into the broth mm. and that's been this beautiful thing you know there's a lot of sweetness in there and if i'm making the dashi stock i'll leave the corn cob in there and just let it boil and actually let it sit in there and it just over time extracts this beautiful sweetness that's that's been a, a good little tip that i've learned just in the last two weeks wow that's really cool i just had miso mm. soup last night <laughs> oh nice <laughs> it's a classic yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's warming, mm. and if I need something like simple and quick and and something mm. nourishing, um, that's kind of one of my go-to's. Is little simple miso soup with like a, a few vegetables and like basically anything you you put in there will taste really nice. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, all right. Final um, question. I think. Uh, mm. Do you have any um, recommendations for um, people who are more interested in you know, perhaps taking up uh, a more healthier version of, of cooking at home or uh, who are just interested in the kind of cooking that you do? Mm. Yes, I think um, start to create a relationship with your ingredients, um, whether that's anything you're buying, you know, looking at the ingredient label and and seeing what's in the food that you're eating. And if there's anything that you're not aware of, to research that and, you know, jump on, do a little Google search and, and uh, find an understanding of what that is. And then also, yeah, I guess understanding what works for your body. Sometimes there's certain foods that, that might be okay for some person, but not okay for you and just, and feel how the food that you're cooking is, is feeling in your body. Are you feeling bloated afterwards or are you feeling light and nourished and energized? And 
because eating is is for energy and nourishment we shouldn't be really feeling tired and and heavy after food um and if we are perhaps we've overeaten or we've eaten something that our body doesn't want um but there's many 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 amazing chefs posting and sharing online so you know whether that's Ayurvedic cooking you want to search and and you'll be bombarded with people that come up or whole whole food cooking or you know cooking without refined ingredients or um whatever that is there's there's a plethora of information on the internet and yeah I think just practice and try to find enjoyment in your cooking and and from there it's it's only upward and um it's going to bring you into connection yeah well thank you for this insightful conversation kate and thank you listeners for tuning in uh, i will add the links to kate's website and to his instagram profile to the description of this episode so if you feel like you would like to get in touch with kate or just follow his journey on instagram you can find that info in the description mm, thanks for having me Janus. It's been nice chatting. Thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this very first episode of Tea Wayfaring. I hope you enjoyed it and I would love to hear your thoughts about this format. If you have any comments or suggestions, please drop me a line at connect at globalteahut.org. If you like the podcast and wish to support our efforts of building a free tea center, then consider subscribing to the magazine at globaltyhut.org. Thank you, and I hope to see you in the next episode.